0: It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Hey you guys, Mike Mayashiro here. I Listen, I am stoked for today's episode. It's actually a two-part one, so we're going to release one and release the other one back-to-back. Back. Um, the file was too big to put in two episodes. You guys, this is... An interview with my mentor who lives in Tokyo, Japan. He's a missionary. His name's Dave. I think I mentioned this to you in the Japan episode, but um, we got to chatting and he says some pretty interesting things on this interview. Um, I obviously want you guys to meet him just because I love him and have such an admiration, respect, and appreciation for Dave, but also he has some fascinating things that he cares about and believes in and thinks about when it comes to the church and ministry. Would love for you guys to hear this. So, really looking forward to getting to check him out. Listen, We were filming this and like professionally recording it. And then, um, the whole layout of that thing kind of fell apart. Thankfully he recorded it with his phone at the same time, just on the coffee table in front of us for his own records, or he's going to use it. Um, that's the file we're using. So the quality of the audio on this one's not going to be great because it's just sitting on the coffee table in front of us. So just, you know, bear with us on that. Sorry about the quality on it, but, um, this was too good not to share. So I convinced my editor to just make it happen anyway. And we're doing that. So enjoy. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast episode. I'm your host, Mike Mayoshiro. We're also doing a special double feature in that we're doing a Conversation with Fabulous People episode at the same time. Mm. Super cool. You guys, I've got a special treat for you today, but before I get into that, I want to let you know, don't do it, Dave. (laughs) I'm
1: a special treat. You are. You are.
0: No, it's good. Um, I'm in... Currently at the recording of this episode, I am in Tokyo, Japan, and I have been having the time of my life. I come back to Tokyo once, sometimes twice a year, and I love it. I'm so grateful to be here. I love the people that I work with here, the story, the history I have with this nation, this city. Um, It's just been such a treat to get to be here. So I've been preaching at some churches while I've been here, but specifically speaking in the Discipleship Training School with YWAM here that I came to back in 2008. The school is still going on, and it's so crazy to come back as a speaker when I was a student, you know what I mean? I was Love. part of that pilot episode. Anyway, Love. we'll get into that. We don't even talk about it right now, but no, anyway. we do. <laughs> no, we don't. we'll get into it. But um, you guys, uh, this last week has been amazing. I've cried many times just being so profoundly moved by how beautiful it is to partner with the Lord and get to do things with Him that He specifically set out on purpose in advance for you to participate in. It's been so cool. <laughs> Loving it. So anyway, um, you guys, I have here with me Mr. David McDaniel. Dave, why are you laughing? You're I'm laughing great. at your name right now? I am. I'm, I'm in a mood. It's so, That's <laughs> you know. great. Yeah, no, this is good. Be... Um, you guys, yeah. this is Dave. He's out of control. So, just kind of buckle up. Yeah. Dave was my one on one, my mentor back when I came here in 2008, and also was the co director of The Base. Yeah, I think right? so. I or something. Don't don't know. He's now like the guy running the show here <laughs> in Tokyo and has built an entire community of people with an ecosystem and a culture that oh. is so family-centric, relationship-based. It's beautiful. It's authentic. It's, I, I feel like I'm at home when I'm here, which is not normal. It's good. Uh, like not common, I guess. And so Dave is just such a dad. He just has a father's heart and genuinely cares for the people that he leads. He doesn't just like do programs, isn't building a ministry. He's building people and has invested his life in developing people in the discipleship training school slash His legacy and it's been amazing to be part of that to get to contribute to it i love coming here i feel like i get ministered to more than i actually am giving out which is really awkward just kidding it's awesome yeah Um, and
1: he gives out an awful lot (laughs) it's like you know all i know is people walk around with smoke coming out of their ears for about two weeks after he's been here and it's great to watch him learn how to live it out but we'll get into
0: that nice yeah
1: anyway so you guys this is
0: dave i have such intense honor and reverence for this man i have so much gratitude i am so indebted to him i the lord got, took me on a journey and you guys know the story but when i got called out of portland i landed in tokyo japan and ran into dave and he picked me up from that point and like fathered and mentored me and taught me about the holy spirit and gifts of the spirit and you know what it looks like to be a charismania yeah charismaniac yeah, I think that's... Yeah. Yeah, How to participate in this spirit-filled aspect of the church, and I just was so foreign to all that. I just didn't get any of it. So it was, I'm so grateful that Dave was the person that got to kind of segue me across the border and, like, help me find a passport over here, you know, and figure out what it's like to live in it's that so space. Good. Really prepared me for when I landed at Bethel. I would not have survived if I hadn't been for Dave oh. and for my time with William. So I'm so grateful for that. And then just, he continues to speak into my life and just be a dad. He keeps trying to not be that, and I, like, won't let it go, but...
1: And, anyway. I, and I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> no, so
0: anyway, I want you guys to know, like, this man is awesome. He's hilarious. He's brilliant. He loves Jesus. He's got such a creative and strategic and brave heart. And so I'm so excited to have him on this episode. We've got some things we're going to talk about today, one of which is the church. Yes. Dave has some strong opinions and beliefs about the church that have very much messed with what I think is okay and right, and good, and I have been haunted ever since, and we just continue to dialogue and wrestle out, what does this look like today, which I'm super excited to get into with you guys, we're going to talk about discipleship, mm-hmm. um, just what does it look like to actually advance the kingdom today, what are the values and priorities there, and then I think there's some other things, the third category I'm going to give you is the miscellaneous one, which I cannot anticipate, this okay. guy's a bit out of control, and I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm super excited about that, I wouldn't have any other way, so, anyway, Dave, before we get into anything, why yes. don't you just, um, why don't you say hello? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so obviously I've shared a little bit, but they need a little more context. Who yeah. are you? What
1: are you doing? What's going on? Man, that is that is a really interesting question. We just thrown out like that because I would say that first and foremost, like my favorite thing in the world is I really like being a husband and a dad. You know, I I'm the uh, happy husband of one wife for you know 29 plus years, and I got three kids that. I really like and I really honor. I honor my kids. I feel honored by them. We laugh a lot. They're also a bit out of control. I actually <laughs> am a little worried that I have set them up at some levels for a lifetime of controversy because we encourage like, you know, as, as spirit-filled believers, I think sometimes we forget that it's actually okay to really think through things and ask questions of things and, and challenge things and Oh, hold on! You're getting a special treat right now because uh, there's an announcement coming out about the city. But we're just gonna let this roll. Um, So, in any case, you know, so like we we do lots of dialogue in this house, and it's like, how do you how do you walk in the spirit? How do you think your way through things? How do you how do you use the word as a springboard for the things that actually matter and challenge and fuel you? And you know. How do, you, how do you let the tension in the word remain without making theology that explains why big chunks of the Bible? So I've raised mm. these little adventurers who mm. I think are hilarious, they make me laugh a lot. Mm. Um, and consequently, I, I, kind of my hope is that everything I do will reflect that idea that we're being invited into a family, not organizations, not a club. And so yeah. that's, that makes me really excited. And I don't know what else to say. There's a lot of good things.
0: Well, you're a missionary in Japan, right? Oh, yeah. Huh. Is, is that, Actually, you know, that a thing? That would be a thing, right? too. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah I, <he's> like, <laughs> you have a relationship with the organization called YWAM? I believe
1: that you've heard of them. Of them. Really <laughs> <like> them. <laughs> I've heard of them, and I really like them. I've heard some good things, this. right? Okay. So um, if, I guess if you're asking for what's on my name card, yeah. I am the base director of YWAM Tokyo co Myself and a man named John summers Harris pioneered this thing with our families together back in uh, 2007. And I've been the bass director since 2009. And uh, I get to work with just amazing, creative, fun, hilarious, godly, smart, super messy people. I I, I mean, I think, uh, let's be honest, everybody works with messy people. But some cultures train us to act like we're not a mess. Mm, totally. And kind of like one of our big values is you get to be weak and strong at the same time because everybody's a mess. So why don't we just be psalmic, let the mess come out, not, not try guess, to explain it yeah. away. And let's how do we let this mess become this thing that displays the glory of God rather than let's pretend we've got it together so people learn to be religious from us. Totally. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you've been a missionary for how long? 18 years. Okay. 18 years. It's a big deal. I was a pastor in a, in a church for 12 years before that.
0: In California? Yes. Nice. Yes. So, how did it feel? I know this is not like the main thing we want to talk about today, but okay. I think okay. it's worth for them to know. How did it feel to go from being a pastor in California to being a missionary in Tokyo?
1: Oh. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Every once in a while, secret doors will open up in our house. And little faces will appear. Okay,
0: ask the question one more time. How did it feel to go from being a pastor in California to being a missionary in Tokyo there
1: as an it, American dude? There was an interim period by which I think God got me ready for that because I was a pastor in California. And then I did um, what we call a crossroads DTS in Kona, Hawaii. Um, and then I did something called the School of Worship. And they asked us, they asked my wife and I if we would stay for a while. And at first we're like, eh. So we have these prayer partners that, you know, we went to with, with this, you know, request. And they were all kind of like, no, no, you're called to Japan, but we should pray. And we prayed and they were like, yeah, we feel like you should stay in Kona for a while. And Kona for, for us, Kona, Hawaii, the big YWAM base there, for us was a real place of healing and getting some DNA and also seeing some very healthy leadership mm-hmm. and coming into a place of healing, working in a very international community, doing a lot of cross-cultural stuff, which sort of laid a foundation, you know, it kind of set some paradigms for us, like questions you don't even know to ask when you, you're first culture United States yet. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden we're working with Koreans and Japanese and Norwegians and I remember the first time a Norwegian guy, we were talking something theological. I don't remember what it was, but I remember what he said. He looked at me and he goes, that's that's not Bible, that's American. And, and I remember being really offended. But we dialogued and I realized he was right. Do you remember what you said? Know, oh, uh, no. Oh, no I think it's a pretty big list, candidly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it, it made me start realizing that hmm. um, there are other worldviews And that there's a lot of things that we've branded kingdom that are more empire. Oh, gosh, didn't say that. Yeah. And so it made me wrestle. So by the time we landed in Tokyo, it's not that we, uh, you know, weren't going to make those mistakes. But I think what we end up having are some of the paradigms needed to begin to ask questions about these things. Mm -hmm. And so... uh, And, you know, I've been here 14 years, and I, <laughs> I think I'm beginning to know what I don't know. Nice. Yeah. It's taking effect. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but I, what I think is funny is, like, when I go back to visit my friends in the States, and they're like, oh, you're so Japanese now. And I'm like, none of my Japanese friends agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> Not one. Did they tell you how you're Japanese? Yeah, yeah. It was, like, things like, apparently the old Dave... We'd be like hey let's go to this restaurant i'm like oh, i don't like that place you know let's go here instead wouldn't think anything about it now they're like hey where do you want to go and i'm like anywhere is fine wherever you'd like to go well what would you like no no seriously anything is just fine they're like oh you're so japanese now and i'm like because I'm at the center of my thought. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. So, Interesting. Yeah. Wow. That may not have been the strongest example, but it's the one that came I from. mean, it got the point across for yeah. sure. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, I'm an odd fit for Japan. I think I'm God's cosmic joke on Japan. <laughs> I'm mean, like, personality, I've got a big personality, I've got a big body. Pe- people cross the road at night when they see me coming because I look scary. Yeah, true story. I look scary. I, I meet with these Japanese pastors and my physical <laughs> my physical appearance comes up as a discussion. And and I finally just ask, You guys when when you first met me, were you were you afraid of me? And they, they do this very Japanese thing, they're like hmm. and they all look at each other. And one guy, I don't know how they single them out, but one guy gets singled out and he's like, <laughs> okay. Like, okay and he goes but no but you're not scary and the fact that you're not scary makes us like you even more now
0: <laughs> so nice they, so this has happened multiple times yeah and nice. I'm a
1: hugger they don't hug you yeah. but I do nice Yeah. everybody tells us no don't hug the Japanese I'm like thanks for the advice yeah I'm gonna hug I'm them. gonna hug <laughs> yeah. I mean if they're and they're too afraid to not hug me so really <laughs> <laughs> nice Oh, that's, so, that's bad missionary stuff right there. Don't, don't, don't follow that.
0: <laughs> okay, listen, we should probably give some context for this. Okay. So, you guys, when I came to YWAM back in 2008, I was a very conservative, like, mentally constipated, fearful, <laughs> like, hungry follower of Jesus.
1: Hungry. I, was, I remember the hunger part. <laughs> you were hungry. Uh, it was pretty great. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was a lot of
0: things back then. Um, And so Dave was super offensive and would say things that were heinous and crazy. I'm not sure how much of this you're actually willing for us to say on record. Oh, I.
1: um, Careful. Okay. Careful. Careful. Um, There are some things that are are relationally contextual. (laughs) But I, I think. Oh, my gosh. That's I what? had some pretty yes. marking
0: conversations with Dave that pushed me outside of my comfort zone and outside of my then Christianity uh, in ways that I knew were how appropriate Christian men were supposed to behave. Um, sometimes in public, that would I, be a I just want to imagine what they're thinking. <laughs> what did he do? Right, totally. <laughs> what did he do? And what they're imagining? This is shaming cream. Them. This is fire.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea what I meant by that.
0: Um, yeah, it was an adventure to say the least. Yeah. But um, I also remember some pretty profound moments where Dave would like, look me in the eyes and he's crying. and He's like, telling me things that are true about who I am. And I'm like,
1: <sighs> oh
0: my gosh, he's right. That's true. And it was like the first time I'd ever have like a strong male role model in my life, like on an emotional level, mm-hmm. convictedly tell me something about me, like emphatically proclaim something about me. And it, like, went somewhere deep and hit me in a permanent way, and it changed my life. And I still have a couple moments like that that I can remember that I'm like, that changed my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, obviously there are probably moments that I don't remember that also changed my life. And it's also because of him that Bethel was on my radar. He had, like, Bill Johnson, little knickknacks lying around everywhere all the time, like traps and...
1: Coasters. <laughs> <laughs> little action figures. <laughs> <laughs> like a wall yeah it's building. totally good i a, like Chris Valentin in a cape <laughs> I Danny Silk hugging lambs <laughs> oh my god
0: so <laughs> awesome I first picked up When Heaven Invades Earth by Bill Johnson at Dave's house in his living room I was like what is this and then I asked if I could borrow it and I did and then I like took furious notes on that book it was mm-hmm. crazy um, not realizing that these people were in America. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the last time I'm ever gonna hear about these people. I need to take in everything I can. Really? Oh yeah. I, I don't did, know what I, I was know thinking. That. I, I had no yeah, I was in a really funny place. Anyway, so profoundly impacted. It was um, such a beautiful time for sure. And Dave was so like catalytic and like impactful in shaping like what I was when I left here going into BSSM and in the ministry world and all that. But mm. um, Dave has always had a strong value for building people. Not, not ministries, yeah. right? And which I love, and I also yeah. have such a strong value for that. I know not everybody does. Yeah. I would love for you, if you would, can you just talk
1: about that a little bit? What do you mean by that?
0: Where is that coming from? Why do you? Why? I
1: mean, it's been a, it's a long journey. Um, I want to be careful. Anything that we say, I want to make sure that we're not dishonoring what God has done or what God is doing, and how really sincere people are trying to put legs on this thing we call a relationship with god so i i don't want in any way to be kind of like picking a fight i don't think you have to pick a fight to make a point mm. but <clears throat> to be really candid i wrestled with the container that we call church and my background is actually systematic in historical theology and i actually did a lot of I did, edu- you know, my bachelor's in that, and went on to graduate work, and, and and so if nothing else, it taught me how to think through things and wrestle through things, and and uh, there was this wrestling match that I could never quite even put words on it because honestly, if you challenge certain categories, you feel guilty, like oh no, am I am I becoming a heretic? Am I am I getting out of balance? And you know, there's there's all these things that we worry. And we could have a whole talk about why we worry about things, you know, as if there isn't a person in God who's desperately in love with us. Totally. Who's like, actually, I'm, I'm going to make it super hard for you to be a heretic if yeah. you're at all sincere. Yeah, totally. But it was asking these questions and, and just realizing, looking at, you know, it started with a very simple idea that Jesus walked with 12 guys and by American standards, his ministry would have been a failure. Three years. You only got 12 guys. Maybe you're not advertising well. Or maybe you, know, you need stronger brand identity. Or you know, how do we you know, get a consultant to help Jesus build his ministry? <laughs> you know? He seemed to think that life on life with 12 guys was enough. And he lost one of those and he still invested in that guy and that just began to eat my lunch I mean it really was like okay so what is this thing we're doing what is this thing called discipleship you know what is the church what is and again don't want to get into dishonoring but this is the journey that I've been on since then mm. and one of the values came into it it's like it, build people not ministries if you build people the ministries take care of themselves mm. because people know their identity and they know how desperately loved they are. They are going to automatically want to advance the kingdom. It becomes a burning desire of your heart. Mm -hmm. It moves from should, ought to, have to, to I'm so in love that I desperately want to. I'm so loved that I gotta go out and love these people. And so most of what I think we're designed to do is lie replacement and painting a picture of what could be. One, you know, so I mean, mm. when you go into—is it? In I, I'm talking about. It, so that's great. I okay. love it. Okay, interesting. So,
0: um, when it comes to discipleship, let's just take a moment and talk about discipleship for a second because you've been doing this for a while. Yes, um, and I'm really impressed with mm. the product. Okay, <laughs> that sounds <Wow>. horrible. Yes. <laughs> if you order now. <laughs> No, I mean, the results, like the fruit of, mm-hmm. you know, you having impacted someone's life and mm-hmm. you in a community. What are some thoughts from the road that you're like, hey, this is something that I have definitely learned that I know is important, not from, you know, just like reading this somewhere, but like walking it out with people on the subject of discipleship?
1: Yeah, boy. Okay. Uh, the old boy wasn't... Yeah, I won't define it. I'll just kind of yeah. dive in here. Um discipleship there's nothing particularly revelatory about this statement which is you know it's it's apprenticeship right it's you know and it means walking with somebody to learn what they do so that you can then do it yourself Mm -hmm. so that's great um what i'm shocked by is how we use the word but very few of us actually do it and the way we do it i got this analogy recently and you know again I almost sound like I'm apologizing through the whole thing. I think... Let me be really straight with those of you that are watching right now. Some of you will watch this and... Or I li- listen. Oh, What's that? Or listen. Or listen. <laughs> you should be watching. <laughs> <laughs> because you're missing all the body dimension jokes because you're not seeing who's talking to you. Um, now, uh, those of you watching and listening... Um, Sometimes you may not have categories for some of the things I'm saying, and I'm not really looking to just be clever or controversial. I don't have a value for that. What I do want to do is help us to think again so that we can grow into this amazing thing that Christ paid for. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when I say some of the things I'm saying, again, I'm not trying to pick a fight. um, But, well, that's not 100% true. Sometimes you need to pick a fight, but it isn't just... It's not just to be combative. I don't want to just be right. combative. Trying to I'm, get, somewhere. I'm not trying to be innovative so that wow, I distinguish my brand. Mm. I don't know why I'm onto that brand thing right now, but the what I see in Scripture, and we can go here in a minute, but I, I don't want to go here just yet. But I see family, temple, and kingdom as some of the main structures that you talk about. But but family is a big deal in Scripture, and when you raise your children. It is an intentional life-on-life life thing that requires time and contact and mm. dialogue and you know wrestling and correction and love and giving space to make mistakes. And it's like, I see it as a very much a family model, not an organizational model. Mm. And I feel like the way, sometimes people use the word discipleship, but they don't even disciple. We got old churches that use the word, but don't actually disciple. And the analogy that the Lord gave me, it's like trying to raise your kids with post-it notes, phone calls, and a lecture once a week. Mm. You can't raise your kids that way. You can't put a post-it up that says, hey, Reese, that's my son. Hey, Reese, I love you. But if that's all he gets, he's going to question it after a while. Mm. You know, you can't make a phone call every now and then say, hey, go do this. And have that really be read as love by any kid, you know. They they need to be able to sit on your lap. They need to be able to cry on your shoulder. They need to be able to be stupid and goofy and explore things in ways that have no point other than they get to be validated in the exploration. I think discipleship is exactly the same. It's messy, it's interactive, it requires face time, and the end result is somebody hopefully knowing who they are and what they're about and are able to reproduce it. The goal of fathering is to produce good fathers. I mean, How do you know when you've succeeded as a father? When your offspring reproduce? Well, anybody can reproduce. That is not hard. That's a biological imperative. <laughs> See, I'm like, when a man, when the <laughs> no, so. Yeah, what happened? No, well, I'll tell you about that <laughs> later. All right. Um, no, you know you've succeeded as a father when your grandkids like your kids. Hmm. It's a generational mindset you've got to be thinking generations down the line you know what are your kids going to reproduce mm. wow yeah. nice I love it
0: okay so when you talk about the container mm. that the church is in mm. do we got to go there Dave? It's mm. when you talk about the container and you're not loving it are you seeing some inconsistencies or some yeah. problems with yeah. what you see in scripture versus what you see modeled or practiced or whatever. Yeah, Can we, can we talk about that? Yeah. Let's talk about it. Yeah. You know I mean? just imagine this is a
1: diving board. Let's just go. Okay. So <sighs> here's the deal. The, the, the model that we have now didn't exist for 341 years. You know, it was...
0: Okay, wait. Before I get any further, you guys, I want you to know, first of all, I'm sorry for what's about to happen. And... You are welcome, because <laughs> this conversation I had with Dave years ago yeah. ruined my life, yeah. and it's still, like, having an effect. I am haunted by this, and so I want to share in the misery.
1: Welcome to the conversation. Carry on. Okay, so Christianity wasn't called Christianity for a very long time. They were this weird <laughs> cult of Judaism, you know, and that everybody just thought they were Jewish, and nobody could get their brains around it, and... And so the Jews didn't like them, the Romans didn't like them, because, you know, the Romans worshipped all these gods and these crazy Christians, which they thought were just Jews, a different brand of Judaism, where uh, they wouldn't in any way acknowledge the, all these gods. And so that's why Rome was constantly having to come down on, you know, Israel as a nation state, as a, as a you know, a, a part of Rome at that juncture. Um, and so this... This man from this really podunk town in Israel called Nazareth rises up and shakes up a whole nation. Nation and 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 Rome, you know, gets on Rome's radar, and then and then you know the Jews are continuing to rebel and and Rome comes in and kind of deals with things and 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 you know this this cult of Judaism is all over the empire. They're finding out, and it's all these people who do these really normal jobs they're all you know they're they're tailors and they're carpenters and they're fishmongers and they're tradesmen and they're all these things and this crazy religion is growing like absolutely nuts and they start seeing this as a threat to the empire so it's illegal and they and we all know the stories Christians being burned at the stakes and fed to animals and all these crazy crazy things and it still grows, and like the persecution just became diabolical. Just some of the stuff that that started happening. So this idea of a building that meets publicly simply was not happening. Mm-hmm. You know, we have in the Book of Acts that when they would get to a new area, they would they would go to the synagogue first, and I believe there's real reasons for that. Um, but the the reality is it was house to house, it was person to person, it was met in secret, it was, and, and so you didn't, you know, have a building with a brand name, you know, you had these people who were the church, which we can go there if you like in a moment, but the container itself um, was very organic, very fluid, part of it was just people who were living it so passionately that other people found it compelling and wanted to be part of it. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have seeker-sensitive because you didn't let people that weren't part of the family in the building because they might be spies who will kill you. Mm-hmm. And so the only model you had was radical, Holy Spirit, fire-driven, house-to-house, business-to-business, person-to-person, um, reaching out and demonstrating kingdom. And it blew up and the harder the persecution got the more it exploded so finally in 341 Emperor Constantine issues something called the Edict of Milan which which makes Christianity legal and then he makes it the official religion of Rome and this weird syncretistic thing happens where models of Jupiter worship and all these things sort of mixed in and they put buildings and. Pews and faced everybody forward and had the professional Christian talk every week, and the growth of the church went from exponential to arithmetic to multiplication, supposed to exponential.
0: Okay, wait. So you're doing the thing, which I love. I love this, but okay. for our maybe English as a second language audience. Sure. What do you mean by syncretistic? Okay. And what do you mean by arithmetic?
1: Okay. So what 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 you you had was all these things that were part of Jupiter worship that got sort of just recontextualized, and we called it Christianity. And it wasn't. Like, can you use an example? Well, like the actual church model that we have. You mean currently today? Yes, currently so, you're today. You're saying the church model we're doing now, that's church, what you're talking yes, about? Yes, I am saying this. And again... God is so humble that he, he shows up wherever he's invited, and he's used it, and he's blessed nations through it, but I, I don't think it undoes the fact that this is actually the historical root of it, okay? So I'm not in any way like, let's get pitchforks and fire. With yeah, that is not where I'm going. That <laughs> yeah. is, and, and I am personally supported by a very big church that has done amazing things for the world. But... I have to ask these questions. It's how my brain works. And the whole idea of, of pick, pointing, putting people in rows facing forward, it wasn't ever part of the model. If you, wanted to, if you wanted to pick a model, it would have been much more rabbinical, where it would have been sit down over a meal, talk about the scripture, argue with each other. That would have been the model you would have had for 341 years. Mm-hmm. So you're saying church back then, people were getting together, eating food together, and
0: talking about what was in the scriptures. Yes,
1: yeah. And if you had someone like Paul come through, he would talk about the revelation, but because it was still rooted in Judaism, people would have argued with him. They would have they would have challenged things. They would have been like, well, they would have right in the middle of things, what does that mean? What is that? What are you talking about? And I always think, man, what if we went back to that? What if every week you had a great meal, not a potluck? <laughs> <laughs> you know the actual meal where people sat around and talked about it you know and they were worshipping but they never had a band now I like the band I like the band I do I'm a musician you know this no, totally. Me. Yeah. you know but the the picture seems to be and I'm still unpacking this so I want to say this with I'm still looking for what this would have looked like because remember the temple had been destroyed at this point and Herod's temple had been built but they, they you know That was another reality we talked. So in church to church, you know, I I doubt you know, Johnny whipped out his guitar and I love you, Lord. I don't think that's (laughs) what was happening. You know, what seems to have happened a lot Mm -hmm. is they'd be talking about something and people were just being worshiping the Lord because of the revelation they were getting at that time. So it would have been interwoven into things, and Holy Spirit would have been moving throughout the whole thing. People were getting healed. People were getting revelation, prophetic words were just flowing, and it wasn't the guy up front. It wasn't the professional, because there were no professionals in the room. You would have had elders. Leadership is biblical. You would have had all this. But remember, you would have had the five-fold ministry operating together like five fingers of a hand, laying hold of the kingdom, and, and teaching people how to operate on this. Because remember, it was like these gifts are there they're to equip the saints to do the work of the gospel. And so everybody was going out proclaiming good news mm. and drawing people into the good news. And the good news was more than news. It was reality. Mm. It was a shift. And it was like, pick a side. And wow. you had to decide if you were for or against. There was no middle ground. Wow. Couldn't have one foot in, one foot out. Not in that reality. Mm. So. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah.
0: So why do you think the church went from
1: exponential growth to arithmetic did you say multiplication? I think what happens is when you've designed it to be person-on-person, person, if you got 14 people reaching 14 people, that's, that's what you got, 14 to the 14th power. Mm. And so the growth is just going to be massive. Well, all of a sudden you put a professional up front, and then you got one guy doing the work wow. of a congregation. Yeah. Think about how many times you've had people, oh, I met this guy, and I'm going to bring him to church. How many times have you heard people say things like that? In your lifetime. Can you count? You know, oh, I really need this guy to meet the pastor. And you know, uh, oh, I want you to meet brother so-and-so. Instead of recognizing, no, they're in front of me, I carry kingdom, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. I led them to the Lord, now I'm going to disciple them. They're mine. Wow. I've led them into a relationship with their king. And I'm gonna the first thing I'm gonna teach them is that they're part of the family of God, they're part of the priesthood of God and they're part of the kingdom of God. And so the first thing I'm gonna teach is you belong. You're a son, that's who you are. You're a daughter, you've been adopted. You don't get to join families. There's only three ways to get into a family. You're born into it, you're adopted into it, or you marry into it. And those are the main revelations in scripture. You don't get to join, you don't get to apply. So you're either part of the family or you're not. Oh my God. And if you're part of the family, then all of a sudden you take on the values of the family. You're, you're being built as a person. And all of a sudden it's like, man, I'm a loved child of the king. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, and guess what? Now listen, your first job, minister to the Lord. That's your first ministry is to the Lord himself. Because the priests, their first ministry, even in the Old Testament, minister to the Lord. It isn't what's done in front of people. It's what's done in the secret place with the king. Mm -hmm. So the first lessons they learned, the one-two punch, intimacy as a child and, and intimacy as a priest. But then you've got this mantle of authority, governmental authority, which is where ecclesia comes in, in a pretty crazy way. And you get to go out and do it, too. No, it's tough. It's amazing. Wait, 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 wait.
0: Yo, keep going. I'm just talking a lot. Ask me questions. Okay. What do you want to unpack? Well, first of all, it seems like you're getting a little misty-eyed when you're talking about not being able to like, enlist or sign up for a family. Yeah. Right? I, I What's, why is that making you emotional?
1: Kids have different access than members. You know? My kids, you know, my daughter taught me so much how to approach the Lord. Because she comes in. Okay. I, I'm going to back. Imagine if my kids talk to me. The way we talk to God sometimes. I like, Oh father. I just want to proclaim that you're a good father. I think you're such a good father. And I have a request. I humbly come before you dad. If it be your will. Would you make me lunch? <laughs> <laughs> and if. And if it's not your will, I still declare that you're a good father. Oh, God, we need counseling. Something's gone really wrong. No, you know, Hmm. Claire, one day she comes in. I was looking at my iPad, and she says, (laughs) she goes, put that down. This straight up demands it. Put that down. I am more important than that device, and I want to sit on your lap. And you know what I did? You put it down. Don't I put it down. <laughs> and she was she was like 12 at the time. And she plops on my lap like she had every right to be there. Because she does. She has every right to be there. She has every right to be at right that place. And the Lord said, you need to pay attention to your daughter right now. Because she's teaching you how to approach me. Wow. And it's like this weird thing that she, because she knows her place, has the right to insist on intimacy with her father. And the Lord says, you've got to learn from her. You have the right to insist on intimacy with me. I'm like, why? Wait a second. But I'm not (laughs) weird. All those things. Wow. Imagine being discipled into that from the very beginning. Hey, you're believing now. Guess what? You have unlimited access to your father's lap. That's the first thing I want you to know. You get to meet with him anytime you want. I'll give you scripture for that. Jesus says it's finished. What's the first thing that have? The veil tore. The veil tore. The very first <laughs> message we get prophetically is, You're welcome in. Mm. And how many of us stand on the outside waiting to be invited? Mm. Well, when he says, The invitation's there, come.
0: So the biblical term of insisting on intimacy with the Father is to boldly approach the throne of grace. Wait,
1: that's really good. You should write that down. <laughs> Put that down. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Wow. But how many of us are still standing out because we're not worthy, or we don't, we're not convinced it's worth it, or you know, and none, I don't attach any condemnation to any of that. But it does need to be wrestled with, because if the veil was torn, he declared you worthy. Mm. But you gotta go in to discover how fascinating he is. Mm. You gotta go in and look at him to see how beautiful he is. Mm. There will be a step of faith. Nobody can take that for you. Mm. But it's sure not about earning your way in. It's about, I'm here, Dad, and I'm here to sit on your lap. And he's like, awesome. Go. Wow. Yeah.
0: So when you say to people, I'm just thinking of the audience, people who are listening or watching. Like okay. when you say your first ministry is to the Lord. Yes. What do you mean by that? Well, what would the modern Christian interpret that as, and what do you actually
1: mean? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm still really unpacking that because that has been my main wrestling match since start. God started zapping me with Acts 13, where you know, it, it talks about all the these guys that are there in Antioch, and it describes even some of their ministry gifts. And then it says, while they were um, fasting and worshiping, some people say, or you know, but I, I'm still really unpacking the word that was used there because I think it could very easily be interpreted as ministering to the Lord as well. So while they were fasting and ministering to the Lord, which it, you know we've got some translation issues even you know because theology informs translation Totally. Right. I want to be careful not to be innovative here but what I see is that the priests would serve the Lord um, and and another way you could say it is they minister to the Lord and I see several examples in scripture where uh, it talks about a ministering a to the Lord as speaking blessing to him day and night which we would probably interpret in the context of like worshiping praising I should say mm-hmm. praising him you know, speaking out what he's like, what he's done, Mm -hmm. for our hearing, for the blessing of the Lord just himself, but also it it ends up opening the door to worship, which, for the record, um, worship, as far as I can tell in Scripture, and I'm open to being challenged on this, is always a response to God showing up. I don't see any examples in Scripture where humans initiate worship. We choose to praise, we choose to thank that we choose to do. And he inhabits the praises of Israel. He inhabits the praises of his people. But when he shows up, that's when you see people worshiping. Every place I see in scripture, he shows up and they worship in response to him showing up. Go after it. I would really love to be challenged, but that's that's the only example I see. It's like he shows up and they fall on their face and worship him. Anyway, so priests are praising the lord but they're also they stand between the altar and the portico crying out for israel so i think there's an intercessory capacity to it which is like crying lord save your people lord redeem your people lord draw your people in it's it's in in some levels it's really like lord calling back to that in intimacy and so those are the two of the main things i see Mm -hmm. so in acts 13 they're they're uh they're, worship, they're, they're fasting, they're ministering to the Lord. And then <laughs> it says, and the Lord said. And, and, and when we're in Bible study mode, do you realize how often things will read it and we don't ever really just stop and think about it? Who did the Lord say it to? Who, who did he say it to? It just it says, the Lord said. It lists all these people, and the Lord said, to whom, through whom. It doesn't say. Did they all hear it? Was everybody so tuned in because they were ministering to the Lord that he was able to speak to all of them simultaneously? I don't know. I don't know. Certainly makes me think. But I do know what he said. Set apart for me, Saul and Barnabas, for the work to which I have called them to. I think there's a fundamental difference in how we would go about everything if we taught our people to minister to the Lord first. Because then he sends people, Whoa. he calls people for his work, rather than, we, oh, hey, we sat around, we had a meeting, we got this great plan, and now we ask the Lord to bless it, which he does because he's so humble, and he'll even blow it up, and we'll think how great our plan was. Yeah, <laughs> he throws his head back. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Whereas the Lord, I think, has all these strategies that he's just waiting to download, if we'll teach people how to, min- how to minister to him. How- What's the longest Paul stayed in any one location in the Book of Acts? I, don't know. I think it was Ephesus. I think, again, forgive me if I got that wrong, but I think it was Ephesus. I think he was there for three years. Can you imagine starting a church three years later, just walking away from it? But he did it all the time. That was the longest he was someplace. If you were teaching people that you're a son and a daughter, and you get to sit in your dad's lap, boldly approach. The throne of grace and then you teach them here and here's your first job minister to the lord what if that's the key to discipleship what if it just moves the bullseye instead of producing dependent people who stay children all their lives what if he quickly grows them up because they're in the presence of the father who also builds people not ministers.
0: I love how the what you're describing denotes this assumption that God is going to initiate and move stuff yes I love that how many containers do we see where we just like kind of compensate for God for his lack of participation right we just like fill in the blank right and there's just like no space for him to have to show up anyway right right we just kind of make it happen and then we do the that's you know what's
1: scary to me I think it is possible to do church without any involvement from God at all we have theologically correct clubs that require no movement of the Holy Spirit to be successful at all. This bothers me. I don't say it critically or like, oh, look, I've got this great revelation. Right. And No, it troubles my heart because I'm in the largest unreached people group in the world right now in Japan. And it's almost supernatural how much growth there hasn't been, <laughs> you know? And I'm thinking, I, you know, the, the party line here is, oh, Japan's so hard, it's so hard, it's so difficult. I was actually praying those wonderfully faithful words to the Lord one day, oh. and he goes, stop! It's not too difficult for me. And, and it, it just, this moment of revelation, boy, I've made God pretty small, and, and so, I repented of those words and started declaring that Japan was easy. Okay, so that's wrapping up the part
0: one of this two-part interview. Uh, Crazy, right? So interesting. Just, uh, yeah, I love when Dave talks and just things he has to share. All right, so we're going to pause that. You guys check out part two. It's the next episode um, on my podcast. You're going to want to hear the second half of this. All right, go check it out. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out mikemayashiro.com.